Well, good morning. Good to see your faces. Uh, a couple of things. It's a uh, pleasure to have this conversation with you by virtue of my friendship with Travis. I love him, know him, and, and I'm thankful for uh, how you care for him. As a pastor, he's bragging on you guys all the time. I just, I just need to let you know that. Um, I'm thankful to be able to find this church. Finn Hill has been mystifying to me for years and years. It defies direction or grid, and I became especially thankful for my GPS this morning as I headed in to, to meet with you guys. That's a, man, good, good to be here. Um, can I just say something? I, I believe this, that God honors churches who create space for a sabbatical for their pastors. Uh, I, I believe because of what you've chosen, um, he'll bless you in an unusual way this summer. Uh, I think you'll, you'll have insights from Scripture and about the kingdom that are different. I think he'll touch your family. I think you may find the finances at church growing, even doubling, because you've been generous with your pastor. I think that's a tremendous thing that you've done, and it's a delight to see that. Um, I'm aware, stepping up here in this pulpit, that with Pastor Travis speaking week to week, that it is a place that's biblically founded, that's deeply theological, that's perceptive, and, and if you're here receiving that or you get that online, you're in a special place. So I'm, I'm coming carefully this morning to, to do that and to have a conversation about God's word with you. Um, let me say a little bit uh, just about my week with you. In, in, in my broader family, it's been an unusual week. Uh, Christy, my wife, and I are adjunct teachers with Northwest University, so we're normally pretty close by here. And our day jobs are with churches. She's a kids director in, in a church down in South Seattle. And I serve NU in church partnerships. That means we bring degrees, bachelors and masters, to churches and, and nonprofits. But th this week, I stepped away for a couple of days and went down to Vancouver. And it was because uh, that the American Veterans Center discovered that my dad is one of the few remaining Normandy survivors. He was, a, he was a Navy man, and at 96 years old, he has got some stories to tell. And I realized in our conversation that, you know, however you feel about perspective and policy and, and military, um, there is a generation of women and men who did some stuff, <laughs> who had a resilience and a sense of duty. And I, I went down there and, and sat off camera and asked him questions and the uh, videographers, uh, a guy from Portland, put together this neat piece where my dad, who enlisted at 17 and was on his way across the Atlantic at 18, learning to be a radio man as they sailed, told his story. It was interesting to me that the moment this veterans group in Washington, D.C. heard his chronology and his story, they bounced into action and said, we need to do this. Uh, the moment they heard little pieces of what he'd been involved in, they had a particular and a focused response. They're going, we get the resume, we need to do something about that. We know a smidge of what you sent us, Dan, you know, on the iPhone. <laughs> we, we need to do a real story. It's interesting to me um, because I feel like in following Jesus, it's a similar dynamic. We identify, and our experience with him is often about this, we identify who he is 
and that invites a particular response. We meet him in Revelation and his identity. This, this is who Jesus is, and that invites us to go somewhere with it. A lot of our Christ following is that dynamic. I see him, and that invites a particular response on my part. Very helpful in assessing that response and choosing who to be and what to do in our Jesus following, if you're following me this morning, is the dinner table setting of Luke chapter 7. And I want to go there with you this morning. Luke 7. Thank you for reading the scripture, Jamie. And thank you, George, uh, for, for lining us up this morning and Stephanie for that amazing worship. So, so good. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord God, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you speak through your word. Um, we have no desire to do something to it, to make it something, but instead to allow it to do something to us. So Lord, we open our hearts, we open our perspectives, and we say, Lord, have your way. We need encouragement. We need a sense of your presence. We need to live and to walk richer and differently because we met with you over the word. So we open ourselves to that, Lord. We pray because of Jesus. Amen. So, as the curtain comes up on this scene in Luke 7, you discover right away that it's a bit of a spectacle. It's a bit crazy, and if you haven't been there before, it would really feel that way to you if you were reading it for the first time. Everybody's learning a bit about Jesus here, and most of those involved are a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, look, if you would, with me at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Notice, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, then wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. It's a spectacle at the dinner table. Uh, very common in this culture for a rabbi to come to town and a respected family to invite him to come to dinner and they'd ask questions and they'd talk about Torah, they'd talk about uh, the wisdom flowing out of his life. And it'd be a little bit like perhaps a, maybe a youth pastor in your earlier life coming into town and you have them to dinner, or uh, someone who leads a nonprofit or a missionary, and Bethany is connected with her, and you invite them over to dinner, and, and you have interaction. The difference in the Near Eastern culture is, not only would the honored guests sit at the table, it's interesting how they did so. Um, they would recline on one elbow on these low-lying couches, and they would just, they would eat their food with the other hand. I've thought about that, and I think I could do some real damage eating that way. I, I think I could put away some Chinese dumplings, some barbecue in that position, you know, sitting on your side and, and eating. So that, that's going on there in the center among the honored guests. <clears throat> but also what's very common in this culture is when that kind of person comes to town, folks from the neighborhood come in and they lean in the window to listen or they gather around the perimeter, backs against the wall, and they see if they can glean something. The woman is in that population. She's listening, she's tolerated, 
but she's not exactly welcome. You have the picture? Uh, the, the key guests are at the center at the table, and she's an onlooker and a potential gleaner as she watches, as she listens to Jesus. But she's not content to stay on the wall. She's not content to stay with her back against the wall. She brings her whole person, her care, her emotions, um, as a Near Eastern woman, the, the glory of her hair, her perspective, her love, her adoration, and, and she's going after Jesus. <laughs> she moves from the wall to his feet in order to worship. And she models the first thing that I want us to hold on to this morning, and that's this. The worship that Jesus inspires is often costly. The, the worship that Jesus invites, our adoration will involve time and creativity and passion and focus and opportunity cost. The, the worship that Jesus inspires has a price tag. It, it has a cost. Uh, we choose not this, but this. And the woman realizes this, and she steps forward, and she steps up. Listen, um, George said in, in, in our beginning of our conversation that, that I've pastored and, and served and, and learned in churches for 30 years. I have. Um, and um, that's where this bald head comes from, serving, serving that way. Uh, I've been to scores and scores of worship seminars. I like them. They, they help us prepare our hearts to come into God's presence. They give us resources. They give us perspectives. They give us tips on how to invite others. Wasn't the worship rich this morning? As, as, we, as we entered in, we took a look at Jesus as we sang from our hearts. Um, I, I love leaving with those tips and those resources from those who gather together around worship. I, I love that. But I must say, what I'm discovering is, if you want to get to Jesus, if you decide to pursue him, if you desire to go after him, you'll find a way, regardless of your technique, regardless of the how-tos, regardless of learning the right language to do so. And, and that's this woman. She says, I'm going after him. I'm going to pursue him. Jesus said in his synthesis that the first emphasis of Scripture is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Jesus said the key to worship is all in. <laughs> the key to worship is I come to him and I say, Lord, I don't want to be where I am. I want to pursue you, your character, your presence, your nudging, your resume. I'm here. I'm coming after you. And that's what this woman, that's what this woman does. That's what she represents. That you see examples for me this morning. She's all in. At some point and place in her life, she seems to have experienced the love of Jesus, and she's loving him back. <laughs> she's saying, you've entered my life, you brought transformation, and I'm bringing my heart to you. I'm, I'm all in. Now, Tradition loves to call these women, characterized in, in verse 37, uh, the woman who had lived a sinful life uh, as a prostitute. There really is 
uh, less than good scholarship for that. Uh, but we, we don't know anything other than she's not known for her character in that community. Um, might have been in business, might have been in relationships, but she's not known for character. What we do know, and, and scripture says it in a, in a clarion, clear way, is we know her heart. And, and in this passage, I think it's an invitation for me and you to construct that kind of heart, the heart that she has. And so I, as I was reading through this this week, I, I wrote down in my journal, at this point in your journey, Dan, are you moving towards Jesus? Here's a woman moving towards Jesus. And, and as a new friend, I just, I just asked you that question, if I could be so bold. At this point in your journey, are, are you moving towards Jesus? Do you have a place and space in your life when you can marinate in his presence and open his word and, and say, Lord, I just want to see you. I, I just want to pursue you. I just want to move off the wall and towards you at the dinner table. That, that's how I want to live. Uh, would you be open this summer as we launch at Bethany this, this parable series to doing a slow walk through Matthew or a slow read through Luke, that's where most of the parables are, and just saying, Lord Jesus, compel me. Lord Jesus, show me yourself again. Let me see you clearly. Uh, are you moving? Are you moving towards Jesus? I had to ask myself that, and my role this morning is to pass the questions God gives to me onto you. Are you moving towards him? Are you moving towards him? Now, it'll cost this woman to do what she's done may cost her any invitation onto the property of anyone else in town. It may cost her further reputation. Certainly has cost her this very expensive perfume in the very unique packaging. Uh, back to the narrative right now, though. Um, it's a private thought, but Simon, the dinner host, is having none of it. Did you hear that in the reading? I love it. When the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, key word there, said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman this is. She's a sinner. I love Jesus. Jesus answered him. See the humor there? Said to himself, Jesus answers him. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't call out your thoughts in public? I'm going to a wedding this afternoon at three, and I don't want him saying everything that I'm thinking out loud. <laughs> I really don't. But that's what he does. Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon's got to be open, so he says, tell me, tell me, teacher. Jesus launches perspective now, brings a parable now. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. Uh, a denarii is a common labor one-day wage, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one do you suppose loved him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said, and I just picture Simon going inside going, maybe I can salvage this thing. I gave the right answer to the radical rabbi. Things are looking better at my dinner table. <laughs> I'm good. He, he, said I, he said I got it right. <laughs> well, it, you know, that is short-lived because Jesus begins to bring perspective. Uh, Jesus begins to bring the real teaching at the center of this passage. I want you to capture it here. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, and notice how he values her. It's market. Do you see this woman? 
I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them. Simon, you missed it. She got it. You did not kiss me. It would have been really common as a Near Eastern greeting, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you missed it. She got it. You did not put oil on my head. This is pre-shampoo. They lived in an arid, semi-arid era, and, and you know, oil on the head was very refreshing in that weather, in that climate. She has poured perfume on my feet. Simon, you missed it. She gets it. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven just a little, implication, who believes they need to be forgiven just a little, <laughs> loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Oh, I love this. Because I think Jesus offers Simon and you and I a lifeline here. <laughs> he says, here's an opportunity to cultivate a thankful heart. Here's an opportunity to see me with gratitude. Here's a woman who's looked at her life, seen how an encounter with me has changed it, and she's living grateful. That, that's my lifeline. That's my avenue. Jesus throws that out to you and to me and says, you, you could live grateful. And, and, and that's the second principle I want you to hold on to this morning. The worship that Jesus inspires flows best from a grateful heart. Let me say that again. The worship that Jesus inspires flows best from a grateful heart. The headwaters of strong worship, of passionate worship, our thankfulness, our gratitude, our noticing the gifts of God around us, and then living and loving and speaking those out. L let me just tell you my story. Jesus brings me grace every day. Jesus brings me second chances every week. Jesus creates space for his mercy in my life and my stubborn character <laughs> to soften me and grow me up every minute. <laughs> Jesus gives me kingdom opportunities so much different and larger and richer than I am. That's, that's grace. That's not a paycheck. We don't, we, we don't relate to Jesus by a meritocracy. I don't righteous up to him and then he goes, okay, good enough, Dan. Now you get my presence. Now you get my love. It's exactly the opposite. He brings his love and his care to me, and that inspires thankfulness. It's, it's the grace bonus. It's the mercy in our lives. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm pretty much an optimist. I'm a, I'm a glass half-full guy. Um, I, I'm also a morning person, much to the dismay of my beautiful wife, Christy. Um, I wake up in the morning with one leg shaken and pictures in my mind of folks I want to meet with and invest in and care for and my plans for the day. And to her chagrin, I verbalize them as quickly as I can. And I'm rolling. And I, you know, um, glass half full. I mean, I see a little condensation. I think it's half full. <laughs> I'm considering that relationship a win. Far before, realistically, it is a win. I'm there. I'm all over it. But can I say to you, in the last two and a half years, there have been mornings when I wake up and the politics around me, uh, the arguments in and around COVID, the, the 
insane blue-red back and forth in our nation and in my friendships and family. Just it, sometimes I, I, um, I start up, I, I rev up my soul, and it just turns and turns and doesn't seem to catch. Can you relate to that? <laughs> sometimes I'm, I, 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 want, I want to kick into who God's made me, and I, and I just, I pause there. Ever feel that way in the past year or two? You know what I discovered? An encounter with the beauty and power of Jesus makes all the difference in that space. Uh, Itemizing, identifying the good gifts that he brings to my life really colors, really makes all the difference in that space when I'm feeling that. And, you know, and I, I'm not saying, you know, let's, let's do a, let's, you know, an emotion bypass and just skip over to positive thinking. I'm saying when I invite the person of Jesus to that place, see who he is and how he can lead me forward in that, it changes things. It changes things. That, that gratefulness that he wants to bring into my life. Psalm 56 says it this way, <clears throat> for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before you in the light of life. What's the psalmist doing? I see your blessings in the past, your deliverance now. That inspires me to move forward tomorrow. The psalmist is saying, that's a grateful heart. That's how I want to live. My friend in print, Matt Chandler, says this about how God relates to us. God says, I have seen the ugly parts of you, and I'm staying. I see you, Dan, and I'm staying. I'm going to continue to provide opportunity for you to see my grace and my growth and experience my resources in the moment to moment. Can I just say to you, maybe more personally than our relationship would entitle me to this morning, can I just say to you, God is not disillusioned by any discovery he might make about you. God is not looking over the windowsill of heaven and going, no kidding, Dan's really that way? (laughs) Come on, get out of town. (laughs) No, in fact, he knows me, he knows you, and is committed to staying, committed to opening up space for his grace and his mercy and his opportunity in our lives. And it's that realization that makes us thankful. It's that realization that constructs gratefulness in our lives and like the woman who moves from the back wall towards Jesus presents gratitude as a possibility for us. Does that make sense? See, he transforms us with his presence and who he is and that allows us to live a life of worship. That allows us to live a life of grace. I wonder... And I want to be very practical as we finish this conversation. I wonder if the newest prayer, if if the largest prayer of our life, perhaps for this summer, could be, Lord, give me a grateful heart. Uh, Lord, inspire in me a robust thankfulness for who you are. I, I wonder if we could be the kind of people who sponsor gratefulness in others. We're the ones who say, see that, see that good gift. We're the ones who say, man, let's, let's be grateful for that. We're the ones who say, look, look at my, I got a gratefulness journal. I want you to read from, I want to read from it. 
to you. I wonder if we could be those folks. Because this, Jesus said, that's the headwaters of rich worship, a grateful heart. Jesus said, those have been forgiven much, love much, love deeply. I, I want to be that person. I, I'm inspired by this woman. She never spoke a word and we don't know her name. Yet Jesus places her center stage and says her sins are forgiven and her life is an adventure by consequence. I want to live that way. I want to care that way. I want to inspire community with my friends to live that way. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your care in our lives. Thank you that all of our histories in some way parallel this young woman where, Lord, you see us clearly, all our capacities, all our shortcomings, even all of our sin, and say, as you surrender to me, it's covered, let's move forward. Lord, uh, some of us would know emotional exhaustion. Some of us would know physical exhaustion this morning. Some of us would be right at the top of our games, feeling invigorated by summer and by family and by all sorts of things. But for each of us, Lord, this morning, I pray this, that gratitude for you would be our fuel, would be our perspective builder, would be the thing that, that moves us, would be the thing that wakes us up in the morning to love well. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy in our lives. We pray because of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for, for jumping into the word with me and, and, and hopefully a practical way. My understanding is that you guys talk about it a little bit, that you guys connect after the sermon. I love that. Probably the most important question you can ever ask when you hear a teacher or when you read the scripture is, so what? <laughs> what do I do with that? So I understand uh, we get in groups of uh, less than five, and I want to suggest two things as you visit. Uh, you know, don't be, don't be pressured by this, but two things. Maybe check in, <laughs> a little bit of highs and lows about your week. You see that um, on your bulletin. And then second, would you deal with this, this issue of gratefulness a little bit? Uh, share with the group uh, what it is that prompts you to gratefulness on the one hand, and then practically what are the impediments? What are, what are the walls you need to break through to have gratefulness be at the center? Can we do that? Beginning now.